1: Your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every
0: day. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. Today's Wednesday, January 6th, and the pod is coming out a little bit later than your regularly scheduled programming today, with the reason being one Chan Gailey had his resignation ign- announced. This morning by the Miami Dolphins team, uh, a change which will mark the third consecutive year in the Brian Flores, Chris Greer era in which the Dolphins have a new offensive play caller. So with this news dropping, obviously, Brian Flores at the press conference yesterday, uh, they kind of leaned into uh, we're expecting everybody back. But then lo and behold, uh, this resignation is announced and the Dolphins are back in the hunt for a play caller. What I wanted to do today is initially kind of recap the presser and go through some offensive evaluation stuff. But this Chan Gailey offensive coordinator stuff is going to take precedent. And uh, I spent a little bit of time this morning looking into some of the candidates for this position, some names for us to watch and be aware of, and who would be a good candidate, who are some sexy names that maybe you know, don't have a lot of substance, they're, they're flash but not substance. Uh, those are the hi- the kinds of hires you need to be worried about, and those are the kinds of hires we should be aspiring for the Dolphins to avoid. And based on what we know about Brian Flores and his tendencies and delegation on the offensive side of the ball, I do think there are some clues here that can kind of lead us in the right direction. Uh, but first and foremost, the Dolphins press release came out this morning. Dolphins announced today that Chan Gailey has resigned. Quote from Brian Flores I want to thank Chan for all this his hard work and dedication in what was a unique year. He played an important role on the staff and in the development of our young roster. I wish him the best. One of the things that I've been trying to kind of give everybody my perspective on when you're doing a, a daily podcast and it's pertaining to the dolphins, uh, the best that I can do is kind of present how it appears to be. And then we can adjust our expectations based and or adjust what reality is based on what actually happens from there. And this is a really good example of that because the Chang Galey hire was one that I know I certainly referenced into talking about horizontal spread and how that's a fit for Tua a But then when you really take into consideration, some of the inconsistencies between, uh, the perceived confidence between the two and treating Kit Tua with, uh, a little bit more conservatism versus, uh, how Ryan Fitzpatrick was really able to prosper to the best of his abil- ability in this offense. And I, I, I what, it almost feels as though, doesn't it kind of feel like the expectation based on what brought Chan in here uh, was that Tua was going to redshirt and Chan was going to get one more hurrah with Fitz? You know, I've never really taken that perspective or suggested that was the reality in which uh, the Dolphins were operating. But it kind of feels like that now with the season being over and Fitz being in a contract year and and not knowing if he's coming back and the Dolphins, you know, firmly planting their flag in the ground and saying, you know, Tua to Tungvaloa the is our starting quarterback. I just I think it's it's at the very least a little bit convenient and ironic that Fitzpatrick's the incumbent starter. Chang comes in. They draft Tua with the medical questions that he has. Fitz comes in and plays fairly well. And then we move to Tua Tungvaloa. And there is kind of this section of the fan base that feels as though Chang doesn't trust Tua Tungvaloa. And I don't think there's any question that, you know, even if they were calling the plays exactly the same. It's clear that the, the plays, regardless of what side of the fence you fall on on that debate, the execution vertically in the intermediate area down the field, uh, it wasn't as consistent with Tua as what it was with Fitz. So I know how I've tried to look at this dynamic. Uh, but now that we've reached the end of the road and the end game is chang is quote-unquote resigning, whether you want to call it resigning or whether it was a team decision and they're going to say, you know, we're going to give you a vote of confidence and give you a chance to step out on your own terms. Whatever dynamics went into that decision to move on, it now feels like the hire of Chan was a 2020 hire, and the anticipation, it almost felt like the anticipation was that Tua was going to register. And now that the Dolphins are moving forward with Tua, okay, now let's get a play caller that's really going to be tailored to Tua's strengths. What is the differences? But that's the million-dollar question. What is the differences in what the Dolphins' offense was in which they spaced to the field and gave you a chance to identify pressure versus what Tua Tongaveloa's strengths were at the college level? And the one component, Trent Dilfer said this not too long ago, It's sorely missing from the Dolphins offense is the verticals component. And whether you you hear the phrase or the play call for verts, no verticals, stressing the the intermediate to deeper portions of the field by flooding receivers vertically up the field, that dynamic was effectively non-existent. Uh, You got to see a little bit of it. But as far as with consistency, pressing, and, and looking to push the ball, and you know that is the other way we talk about horizontally spacing the field and how that can challenge uh, defenses to cover real estate. But if you push the ball vertically, conversely, now you can get into challenging run fits to an even greater degree because you're you're stressing the second level of the defense. And where so many teams had success against Tua Tungvalo in the back half of the season was congesting the middle of the field in the intermediate areas, and saying, okay, if you want to play pitch and catch, we're going to make you play pitch and catch to the boundary, and we're going to bet because you guys don't have the skill players out there to really thrive and create a lot of separation that you're going to take negligible gains down after down after down after down. And, and when we were asked in the summer, what are some of the risks of the chain style offense, we acknowledged that that was a risk. Well, we saw it materialize for the Dolphins. So, happy trails, Chang Now I'm not going to dance on, on the, the departure or the press conference or anything like that. Uh, I've tried to stay as even-keeled as I possibly could, and I said it, I think it was the end of last week, I could take or leave continued tenure with Chang And One of the big reasons why I could have taken it was because I do think we do need to be cognizant and mindful of this is the third playbook that the Dolphins are going to be implementing in three different seasons. And when you have that kind of turnover and, and change in terminology, you know, for the Dolphins, for their credit, well, they've done well to continue to develop players despite a lack of continuity. Well, this was the chance to get some continuity, and I was excited to see what continuity was going to look like. Even if they hire from within, I don't necessarily think it's going to be the exact same playbook, exact same terminology, exact same concepts. I think they're going to have to, if they want to maximize Tua Tagovailoa, get away from big-bodied receivers winning at the top of route stems and working inside congested areas and isolating one-on-one matchups and playing power forward in the low post kind of football in the passing game. Stretch the field. So, That's kind of where I stand on, now that we see the full story, the full body of work and the hiring of Chan, what Chan looked like in 2020, the dynamics of what each of the quarterback situations were with Chan, how he handled Tua, how the Dolphins handled the exit of the season, and how Chan stepped away. I think that should tell you a lot about this being probably the last hurrah of Fitz in Miami. This being a last hurrah with Fitz and Chan for a team that felt they could compete and they were right. They were competitive. But uh, unfortunately the slow start was a 1 and 3 start is is too much to overcome when there's uh, seven teams in the AFC that win 11 or more frickin' football games. Go figure. Today's episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one of a kind engagement rings designed by 10 Of the most distinctive designers working today, using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswania, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement ring launches on January 18th and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com.
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: So who are some candidates for this position for the Miami Dolphins? You know, I put some feelers out, mainly just asking the fans, interested what the fans' answers were, who the fans wanted to see take this job. And uh, we got a slew of names. We got a whole bunch of candidates. We got a lot of Adam Gase. You guys are crazy. Get out of here. No shortage of names, but the names that that seem to be brought to the table seem to fall into a number of different buckets, uh, which is what I would classify as questionably qualified people. And what I mean by that is I don't doubt Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't become a very good NFL offensive coordinator someday. But he's an active player with no experience with any kind of coaching whatsoever, and I think it's very different to be the offensive coordinator and be responsible for every nuance of game planning, every position on the field versus just knowing a playbook and knowing what plays to call in what certain situation or what concepts to call in certain situations. That's a big difference. And that's why like the coaching ranks, you you do see players that come up through and they are um, effectively coaching assistants and then they're positional coaches. And then you work your way into a coordinator role. Coordinator is a big jump for somebody with no experience. So you know we saw names like Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we saw I saw the name Tony Romo, and I saw the name Dan Orlovsky, and like these guys are all great football minds, right? But they've they have no experience coordinating and coaching an entire unit of eleven players at any given time. So for me, I'm going to avoid any player or or any former player or any. Prospect for the job that does not have experience in some kind of coaching role, even if it's a positional coach role. If you're a positional coach, cool. If you did interim work as a coordinator or head coach, fine. There was another subsection of names that I saw, namely Steve Sarkeesian and Mike Loxley. Uh But they they go in another bucket, the bucket of active college coaches, and. You are not, in my opinion, going to have a lot of success coaxing somebody who is a head coach of a football program to leave a head coaching job to take an effectively reduced role on a professional team, regardless of whether or not they have an attachment with Tua or not. Uh, so everybody works in coaching. I would assume, with the aspiration someday of being a head coach and running your own team and having a chance to put your imprint on a program or a franchise. So Loxley is the head coach at the University of Maryland. His quarterback is a Tongavaloa. It's Dahlia. Steve Sarkeesian's been waiting a really long time to kind of rehab his image. He was a successful college coach. Uh, He had his personal demons and struggles. He goes to Atlanta as an offensive play caller, and then he's in Alabama. He suddenly finds himself with one of probably the 10 most lucrative head coaching jobs in all of college football with the university of Texas. I don't think you're going to have success pulling either one of those two away from head coaching jobs to take a coordinator position with the dolphins. There was another subsection of names and recommendations, which I'm assuming are jokes. The Adam Gases of the world. Uh, I saw Ben Volen recommended for the job. He seems to know a lot about how, uh, how the Dolphins' offense should look, so maybe he should give some consideration into putting in a resume. Love to read it. (laughs) But I do think there are a number of in-house and external candidates that I would be very excited to see the Dolphins interview and consider for this position. If we're looking internally, Coach Godsey is the name uh, that I am most excited about the prospect Because he has the kind of experience that the Dolphins would undoubtedly gravitate towards. So, uh, Godsey, his tenure, he was an offensive assistant for the Patriots in 2011. tight uh, Tight ends coach in 12 and 13. Transitions to Houston. Is the quarterback's coach in 14. The offensive coordinator in 15 and 16. Now, this was before Deshaun Watson arrived on the scene. But Godsey has two years of play-calling experience. He's been a quarterback's coach. He worked very closely with Tonga Vailoa throughout the course of this season after Robbie Brown uh, missed time with COVID. So there's enough dots that you can connect here. Where Godsey seems to be, if we want to keep everything as status quo as possible We want to promote from within, kind of like they did with the defensive coordinator position last year with Josh Boyer when Patrick Graham left. God sees the candidate on staff that I think makes the absolute most sense for the Dolphins to give consideration to their offensive coordinator position. If you look externally, uh, you can again split this into a couple different buckets. There are coaches that are relieved of their duties and on the free agent market. Bill O'Brien is one. Bill O'Brien's worked with George Godsey. And Bill O'Brien is, if you remove the human component, the human factor, and you just take a qualifications perspective, an X's and O's perspective, and an experience perspective, Bill O'Brien is the ideal candidate for the position. The problem is Bill O'Brien has developed a little bit of a reputation during his time in Houston that makes me wonder, is this a cog that you want to put in the Dolphins building and run the risk of negative energy being brought into the space? If Bill O'Brien has been humbled by his time in Houston and how he effectively you know, sucked up all this power in this power vacuum in Houston and it fell brilliantly flat on its face, if he's humbled by that and he's ready... To go back to just being a play caller, and he doesn't have these major aspirations for himself. But I'm telling you right now, if O'Brien comes to Miami, and he finds success, he'll be gone in probably two years, because teams are going to gravitate towards his quarterback-style background. If he ends up developing to a Tonga Valoa, he's a former head coach and that some team is going to say, well, we're not going to mistake the Texans did, and we're not going to give him personnel control, but it's very clear he knows what the hell he's doing calling plays. But that should be irrelevant for the Dolphins when you consider the window of their life cycle as a team that they're beginning to enter into, which is a young quarterback, rookie contract. This is a really strong foundation has been laid, and now it's kind of that exciting window where you get some skilled players in the building, and this thing could really boom in a hurry. Bill O'Brien, if from a mentality and team chemistry perspective, if they vet him and Flores feels comfortable with him, that's the perfect hire. And again, because remember, Brian Flores likes to delegate and and disperse his offensive work to an experienced coach. He wanted to do that with Jim Caldwell. He did do that with Chang Bill O'Brien is a former head coach. He's got brilliant play designs. Some of his play designs and the RPO-type concepts. Go watch Deshaun Watson on NFL Films. You go to NFL Game Pass. They have a 20-minute video of him talking with Brian Baldinger and I believe Kurt Warner talking and breaking down the X's and O's of some of the concepts that the Houston Texans run, including this effectively triple option RPO type concept with dart, tight end leak, and then there's a keep component and a vertical component. It's really, it's a great example of like, Tua, theoretically, should be able to thrive in that kind of play calling with the kinds of designs that Bill O'Brien has put together for Deshaun Watson. If O'Brien is ready and has taken the crow that's been served to him by the football gods for how things ended in Houston, he's the perfect candidate. I do think Anthony Lynn is somewhat interesting as another fired uh, coaching candidate. Lynn, just like Bill O'Brien, just like George Gotze, uh, he has experience... With calling plays in the past. He did so for the Buffalo Bills before he became the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Lynn's experience, Denver Broncos special teams assistant 2000 to 2002. Running backs coach in Jacksonville 03 to 04. Running backs coach in Dallas 05 to 06. Running backs coach in Cleveland and the New York Jets uh, from 07 to 2014. Assistant head coach for the Jets. In 2013, 2014, assistant head coach and running backs coach for the bills in 15 and 16. Interim head coach and offensive coordinator 2016. Head coach 2017 to 2020 with the Los Angeles Chargers. What concerns you about Anthony Lynn? Well obviously he is coming from an offense that had a great deal of success with Justin Herbert pushing the ball down the field. I will say this for their style of play, both him and Pep Hamilton, who's another external candidate that I'd be really excited about. Go back and watch Hard Knocks and see how Pep Hamilton handled himself with Justin Herbert. Uh, But the Chargers offense uh, is a little bit more deep set back to the defense vertical shot to check down style instead of kind of like spacing the field in which the degree I think that would work best for Tua Tungvalu. That's not to say they can't adopt and and implement some of those principles. But the other thing that scares me about Anthony Lynn is some of the game management cracks that we saw arise for the Chargers throughout the course of this season. And if Brian Flores is going to delegate the offensive side of the football and Anthony Lynn's going to be in charge of it, you've either got to have a quality control coach or a statistician or, a, or a somebody who's going to be in his ear to kind of talk about late-game situations and make sure this is the point of emphasis because the Chargers gave football games away with how they endled end of half and how they endled end of game. The NFL playoffs are here, and while the Dolphins are not qualified, it does not mean you cannot still be a winner this winter, there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust for all of your online sports bets, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sports book experts.
1: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
0: day. I'd mentioned Pep Hamilton. Uh, Pep Hamilton, to my knowledge, is still technically uh, with the Los Angeles Chargers until they make a change there with who their head coach is and make that hire and, and make decisions on retaining staff versus not retaining staff, there's a chance he's also on the open market. Um, But Pep Hamilton, his experience, um, quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator at Howard University before making the jump to the Jets and as a quality control coach in 2003, quarterbacks coach for the Jets in 2004, wide receivers coach for the Jets in 2005, quarterbacks coach for the San Francisco 49ers in 06, quarterbacks coach for Chicago 07 through 09, Stanford University wide receivers coach, Stanford University 11 and 12 offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, overlapping with Andrew Luck there. Uh, offensive coordinator, Indianapolis Colts 13 through 15, working with Andrew Luck in that time span after Bruce Arians left to become the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Transitioned to Cleveland in 2016 as the assistant head coach and quarterbacks coach. Went down to the college level as the assistant head coach at the University of Michigan. Uh, Spent 2020 in the spring as the head coach and GM of the D.C. Defenders of the XFL before getting hired as the Chargers quarterbacks coach this year. So he's been around the block. He's seen a lot of stuff. He's been to college level. He's been at the pro level. uh, And he's been a play caller. Pep Hamilton, I I was really impressed by seeing him at Hard Knocks and knowing what I know about Pep Hamilton, the coach, Um, I think he's the right kind of culture fit for what the Dolphins are looking for. Uh, He doesn't have the illustrious head coach experience that a Bill O'Brien or an Anthony Lynn does as external uh, candidates. His only head coaching experience is with the D.C. Defenders. But um, Pep Hamilton's kind of like the the under-the-radar. I think he did a brilliant job working with Justin Herbert this year. And as somebody who's been around the block and who has been and stopped at a bunch of places. I do think Pep Hamilton uh, brings value in having probably some diversity in, in what he can call from a plays and concepts perspective because he's been at so many stops along the way. It's not like, I'm going to go work here for six years and this is my playbook. Well, no. you know he, He's been positional coaches in a lot of different places, so he can probably tap into the concepts from each one of those stops as effectively as anybody to take advantage of what Tua Tungvaloa's greatest strengths are. I'll make one last stop along the train. Uh, and It's a name that I've seen uh, sent to me quite a bit. It's Joe Lombardi. Uh, Joe Lombardi, for anyone unaware, is the quarterback's coach of the New Orleans Saints. He does have the kind of experience in up and down uh, that that you would like to see across the board. Uh, he started out as a defensive line coach at Dayton in '96 to '98. Tight ends coach and tackles coach at VMI in 1999. Bucknell defensive line and strength and conditioning coach. Uh, New York New Jersey Hitmen in 2001. Tight ends coach and running backs coach. Mercyhurst College offensive coordinator makes the jump to the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL in 2006 as a defensive assistant. And then he goes to Atlanta as an offensive assistant from 07 to 08, 09 through 2013. He's the Saints quarterback's coach. He goes to Detroit for two years to be the offensive coordinator before returning to New Orleans where he's been the quarterback's coach since 2016. I understand the appeal of going after somebody from the Saints' wing. Uh, because the comparison to Drew Brees and Tua Tangaveloa has been one that's been very real. Uh, that was the comparison that I had made in the pre draft process for Tua Tangaveloa. So I get it. And, and you think about the Saints' offense, and a lot of it, as of late, has been uh, kind of the same concepts as Miami, working inside the phone booth and Relying on playmakers to make plays, and the difference is the Saints have playmakers like Alvin Kamara, and the Dolphins don't have anybody remotely like Alvin Kamara or Michael Thomas. So that wouldn't be too big of a deviation from what they tried to do with Chang Gailey. Here's my concern with Joe Lombardi, and I can't speak confidently to this one way or the other. I'm just kind of expressing my point of view on a guy who went to Detroit for two years, And he was hired halfway through his second season after the team started one and six. Uh, He's worked in New Orleans for effectively a decade's worth of time at this point. And he's only ever been for New Orleans the quarterback's coach. Think about the last time the Dolphins made a big investment in a coach who worked, didn't call plays, and worked with a Hall of Fame head coach. His name was Joe Philbin, and that experiment turned out, it turned out that Joe Philbin was absolutely nothing the Dolphins signed up for him to be. That's my apprehension. So Lombardi's somebody that we're going to have to dig into a little bit more and explore, uh, but I don't think his resume jumps off at me to the same degree, even though he's in New Orleans working with Drew Brees in this offense, I don't think it's the resume that that meets the same degree as what a lot of the other candidates that we've talked about here on the show have to boast for their candidacy for the position. Just when we thought we were out of the offensive coordinator search, thanks to Brian Flores' vote of confidence that everyone is going to be back on staff, they pull us back in. Shane Gailey resigning this morning, so... Dolphins fans, we're going to have a very exciting couple of weeks as we figure out who's going to be calling plays and what the offense is going to look like for the Miami Dolphins in 2021. So you're going to want to make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast, follow along your team every day. We don't just say it. We live it here on the Locked On Network and make sure you come back and see us again soon. We are going to get back into evaluating Maybe not from a coaching perspective on the offensive side of the ball anymore, but uh, the personnel on either side of the football throughout the course of the rest of this week as we set the table for the offseason and start taking deep dives into what roles on the team need to be addressed, what roles do we have that we feel really good about, which ones may be changing based on financial decisions. Lots to get into. We're going to treat it just like the team will from their own evaluation process. So hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm Kyle Krabs signing off. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.